Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. That song, and uh, I don't know, do you ever feel like you can really sing it? Like you're right, right that moment, and then you find out, no, 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 I can't quite get there. C.S. Lewis uh, came to faith late in his life. He, uh, he was an intellectual. He was a professor at Oxford University, and, uh, and uh, he worked through uh, quite a process. In fact, he was sort of an anomaly for his time uh, when intellectualism and rationalism sort of had taken over, and uh, spirituality had really been pushed aside, particularly uh, in places of higher learning. And so he was a little bit of an anomaly as he came to his faith. He hung out. Uh, with another professor from uh, Oxford University, and the two of them together were uh, incredibly interested in fantasy writing. And uh, they read a lot together, and they challenged one another. Uh, historians tell us that we likely wouldn't uh, have ever really enjoyed e- any of the writings of these two authors, except that they had each other, and they continued to encourage one another to publish. Uh, his friend that he taught with and was a colleague with at Oxford was somebody you probably have heard of. His name is J.R. Tolkien. And he was writing about Middle Earth while Lewis was trying to find a way to describe the darkness of what was happening uh, in England at the time. In fact, uh, he begins to write a a series of books uh, just after the end of the war. The first one is published in uh, 1950. And uh, that series of books feature a, a group of children. And those children uh, live in London during the Battle of Britain, and so they, uh, they leave Britain and they move to the countryside, as so many children did uh, during those years. And so Lewis begins to speak into this place, this place of darkness, this place where it was lonely, where there were these uh, sort of uh, almost impossible circumstances in which to live. And then to somehow convey the weight of the story, he he creates a world, and these children who leave London during the Battle of Britain, they arrive at a, a home, uh, an estate, and on that estate there is a wardrobe. Maybe you've heard the story, and uh, they enter through the wardrobe, and they end up uh, in this place, Narnia. In fact, they end up at the light post in the middle of a winter wood. And, and in this place, as, as Lewis begins to describe this world, a place where some really powerful things can happen, it is by his explanation, always winter and never Christmas. And in that way, he begins to describe really something that was a prophetic metaphor a long time before he came up with it, and that was that in the time of Isaiah, there was an exile going on. The Assyrians had invaded, they had conquered Israel, they had carried off a lot of the best and brightest into captivity And now uh, Isaiah begins to write, and he's writing about hanging on, and he's writing about, you know, sticking with it, and he's writing about enduring the difficult circumstances, but he's also writing about a prophetic hope. And in it, as he thinks about that, his metaphor becomes this, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has dawned. So what he describes as darkness Then C.S. Lewis describes as being frozen and being stuck. They they kind of both work, don't they? Because some of us know what it's like to live in circumstances that are incredibly dark. 
And some of us understand what it's like to, to be engaged in a way where it's always winter and never Christmas. And in this season, as we've celebrated together through this Advent season, we've talked about what it happens when your thoughts get frozen. Uh, what happens when your emotions get frozen? Uh, what happens in the process of our lives when, you're, when your dreams get frozen? And for a, just a brief few moments tonight, I want to think about what happens when your faith gets frozen. So as we kind of think about that and we think about these metaphors and we think about what it means, uh, I, I, I don't know if you realize this, but right now, these next few hours, uh, there are more people celebrating this common holiday than, than almost any other holiday on the planet. Are you aware of that? Christmas in the order of how many people celebrate and observe a holiday around the world you know, if I, if I just ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think is number 1? What do you think is number 2, number 3, number 4? Christmas is number 2, <laughs> just so you know, which kind of surprised me doing the research. Number 2, it's the second largest worldwide celebration. Number 3 is Easter. Number 4 is Ramadan. Number 1 is New Year's. <laughs> Everybody has New Year's. I mean, you've got to have that. And I don't know how or who arrives at such research, but I, this is what it says to me. It says that for a few moments, a few hours, we share something in community with lots of people around the world. However you observe this holiday, whatever it means to you, there's a commonality. And certain phrases trigger certain responses. So when someone says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, and he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We share some sort of commonality in that. So I wanted to share my own little catchphrase tonight, and, and it's kind of cliche, but I want you to hold it in your head and hold it in your heart as we talk just for a few moments together. And here it is. You ready? Walk towards the light. I didn't really hear an audible gasp from anybody out of that. Now, I do understand that there's a connotation in which that idea would be like, you know, not necessarily good for you. <laughs> so if it's a tunnel through which you're looking, don't, don't walk towards the light. That's, you want to be here for Christmas. But just to hold in your heart and to hold in your mind for a few moments that phrase, walk towards the light. And then... And then what I'd like to do is just share with you two thoughts. I'd like to ask you two questions. And then I, I, I have two things I want you to do. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I don't know what to describe to you, because um, I want to I describe it in a way that sort of, you know, gets your emotions going. So if I say I've got a task for you, that's probably not going to excite very many of you. I can say I have a mission for you, but I don't know. That sounds a little over the top. Um, maybe it's just this simple, would you do me a favor? <laughs> so as we enter into this season. So when Isaiah writes, and he writes to the people living in darkness, he writes to people who have been disenfranchised, they've been broken, their lives have been torn apart, they've been extracted from their homes, they, they deeply desire to get back there. And so as Isaiah writes, he, he has these moments, and we call them servant songs, and they're sprinkled throughout his writing where he just takes a pause and he says, but there's hope. There's really a lot of hope. There's really a reason to be and anticipate something good. 
And when things don't go well, we're invited to experience something called faith. The writer of Hebrews says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and confident of what you do not see. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be sure of what I hope for and confident of what I do not see. I like to be sure uh, of what I see and confident of what I already know has happened or will happen. I don't want to be duped. I want to experience the real part of life. I don't want to be investing in something else. And so as I think about what that means, what it means to have faith, faith is being sure of what you hope for. It's being certain of what you do not see. I'm reminded of the opening of Luke's gospel. And in it he says, I am writing this orderly account to you so that you might be certain of the things you've been taught. And we don't get that invitation very often to be certain about some of the things we've been taught. But it's all revolving around the same idea that you and I are invited to exercise faith. But when life doesn't go very well, when things don't go quite right, when we get stuck, when things get frozen, when life sort of defies explanation, then it's very hard to believe our faith gets frozen. We get stuck. And when you have frozen faith, there's some things that are symptomatic. Skepticism, cynicism, hopelessness, sadness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, you know, as, as human beings, we are made to believe in stuff. I mean, we are really made to believe in stuff. Now, I mean, we like to think about and project into things that are bigger than us and beyond us. And so tonight, I just kind of want you to think about this. Walk towards the light. Walk towards the light. There's a couple of thoughts. The first one is this. Faith is a way of waiting. I don't know what you think faith might be. I don't know how you might think it works. Being certain of what you hope for, sure of what you don't see. But it's a way of waiting. And life involves a lot of waiting. There's a lot of things that we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know where it's headed. We don't know what's going to... I'm guessing that for a lot of you that get it here, there's some waiting going on in your story, in your life. Uh, there's things that you haven't figured out yet. And don't you wish that there was way less waiting involved in this process of life? I mean, if there was just a little better connection between what you choose and the result, wouldn't, it seems like you would learn faster. It seems like you would, you know, pick up on some things. But faith is a way of waiting, and, and I don't know how you wait. I'm not a good waiter. I don't like to wait on things. I like for things to get done and solved and resolved, and I like to move forward. I like to get, I'm really, really good about getting things swept out of the way and moving on to the next problem. Take your time. And I don't really enjoy the process of waiting. And when I'm, when I'm in that mode, something happens inside of me. I mean, I get anxious. Waiting makes me anxious, you know. I, I have four daughters and a wife, and I have done an incredible amount of waiting in my life. And I don't wait well. I don't wait well. I, and, you know, I've learned over time not to say things while I'm waiting. But, you know, I don't know, probably half the crowd understands this. Women have a sixth sense, and that is, you're not saying anything, but I know what you're thinking. And I don't wait all that well. So faith is a way of waiting. It's a way of resting. It's a way of being at peace while you wait, of trusting that things are going to turn out okay, that 
in our journey and in our life, there is a bigger plan, and that bigger plan has something to do with God showing up in significant ways. So when Isaiah says to these people, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has done. For unto us a child is born. What he's saying is, you've been waiting a long time and life has been really dark, but I want you to understand that something significant is happening. God is not silent He's not motionless. He is intervening in significant ways. Just a thought. Faith is a way of waiting. Frederick Beatner, in one of his great books, writes these words about waiting. I always think you should be super excited when the person speaking just flips page after page. That's done. That's done. should be so happy. Oops. I almost tripped on the snow. I'm dropping candles. There's all kinds of stuff. Faith is a way of waiting for light to come, for the one you love to come, for the word of life to be spoken, for the word of life to be spoken. Faith is a way of waiting, never quite knowing, never quite hearing or seeing, because in the darkness we are all but a little lost. There is doubt hard on the hills of every belief, fear hard on the hills of every hope, and many holy things lie in ruins because the world has ruined them and we have ruined them. But faith waits even so, delivered at least from the final despair which gives up waiting altogether because it sees nothing left worth waiting for. Faith waits for the opening of a door, the sound of footsteps in the hall, that beloved voice delayed, delayed so long that there are times when you all but give up hope of ever hearing it, and when at moments you think you do hear it, if only faintly and from far away. The question is, can it possibly be impossibly be that one voice of all voices. Faith is a way of waiting. Here's the first question. Which way are you facing while you wait? You see, the people living in darkness saw a great light, but they were facing the direction of the light. And, and I'm guessing if you're like me, that, that in your journey, you have a decision to make. You have a choice to make. You can face towards the light or you can face other directions. And I don't know about you, but my natural inclination is not to face the light. It's to face away from the light. I'm much more prone to sort of see the cynicism and see the downside and see what worries me and see what fears I have and see what anxiety I have, which sort of is all produced by the waiting. But faith is a way of waiting, and it's an invitation to turn towards the light. And we do that moment by moment, choice by choice, conversation by conversation. So now here's the first request. Task, mission, do me a favor. In these next few hours, would you face the light? As you, as you make your way through Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day and, and family comes and a lot of things happen and the turkey burns or, you know, the, whatever happens, happens. There'll be temptation. I, I promise there'll be temptation for you to face a different direction than the light. There'll be a temptation to face fear. There'll be a temptation to face frustration. There'll be a temptation to be angry. There'll be a temptation to be sad. Uh, there'll be a temptation to be exhausted. There'll be a temptation to be overwhelmed. You're invited to face the light. That the light that brings hope to all people was coming into the world doesn't mean you and I have to look at it. John says in his first chapter, the light that gives light to all people was coming into the world, but the world did not recognize him. And I just think he'll show up. You have a choice to make. 
You don't have to look at the light. You can see the darkness. You can turn that direction. You can face that direction. But you're invited to face the light. The second thought is faith is a way of walking. I wish life was, you know, if you just were stuck and you had to wait, I wish all you had to do was wait. I mean, I wish you didn't have to actually take initiative and make decisions and move forward. I wish you could just wait until it was obvious what you were supposed to do. But faith is a way of walking because you and I don't get to just wait. We actually have to move forward. We'll actually have to move forward in our relationships and our decisions and our work and our finances. We'll, we'll have to keep moving forward. We'll have to walk in a certain direction. And faith is a way of walking. It's a way of looking at life. It's a way of seeing the circumstances around you. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist, an Austrian psychiatrist, and, and uh, he was uh, interned, a Jewish uh, individual, he was interned at Auschwitz. And during his time at Auschwitz, he, he says one of the reasons he felt that he was able to survive is because he continued uh, day after day, week after week, month after month, to, to in his head write a book. And when finally he was released from Auschwitz, he sat down and he wrote the book that he had been writing for those years, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he writes this incredible passage. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a, from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. And there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision. A decision which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstances. Renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate. That's a fascinating phrase. Every day to make the choice moment by moment to be the plaything of the circumstances or to exercise the one freedom that is always present in human beings, the freedom to choose which way we'll walk. Will we walk towards the light or will we walk in some other direction? So here's the second question. Which way are you walking? Which way are you most inclined to walk? It matters which way we face, it matters how we wait in the circumstances of life, but it matters which way we walk. It matters the direction that we decide to move. We can move towards things that are life-giving and light-giving and, and, and are positive in our journey as we walk in that direction. And it's a moment-by-moment -moment choice. I, I'm guessing that if you're like most everyone else on the planet, that, that over these next few hours you'll encounter situations and people that, that you need to make a big decision about which way to walk. Because sometimes when we're around people at this time of the year, we have a pattern. And the pattern is we always walk in cynicism with this person. Anytime they show up, when they talk, we eye roll a lot. <laughs> and so you're invited. Moment by moment, decision to make a decision to face the light and to make a decision to walk towards the light. You don't have to see the light. It's a... You can see the darkness. It's easy to see the darkness in our culture, isn't it? 
I mean, it's easy to see the, the darkness in our politics. It's easy to see the, the darkness in our relationships. It's easy to see the darkness in, in the way the world works. But, but we don't have to see the darkness. You can't get a more dysfunctional story than the children of Israel who are carried off into exile. Their politics weren't going all that well. But the people living in darkness saw a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light had dawned. And so here's the second request. Over these next few hours, would you just moment by moment take steps towards the light? When you could take steps in another direction, emotionally, mentally, relationally, would you just remember that Jesus arriving in the manger in Bethlehem is not something we memorialize. It's a prejudice at the heart of God. That God shows up in the places we need Him most. And that there is a reason to be hopeful even when it seems like there's no hope. And that you and I only get one life. And the direction we choose to face will define a lot of the quality about that life. And we only get one set of people with whom we share this journey. And the direction we walk has a lot to do with the quality of the relationships we'll share with one another. And so I just invite you to think about that. In Luke 2, we are told that there is glad tidings of great joy that will be for all people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you the Christmas story because we should. And then we're going to do the traditional candle lighting service. And so there's a couple of things that I've learned uh, from doing the two services last night. And one is... Um, you need now to begin to stretch or loosen up a little bit because evidently people need some advance notice that you're going to need to participate in this next part, okay? Everybody with me? I mean, we won't do like a seventh inning stretch and I won't make you stand up or anything. But I'm just telling you, in just a few minutes, you're going to be the choir and we're going to sing a beautiful hymn, Silent Night. We're collect all of us together, and we're going to share the light with one another. And this isn't complicated. I mean, it used to be so much more intuitive when it was actual fire, you know, because you actually had to find someone that had a candle that was lit before you could light your own. It was, you sort of, now you have to play along. So would you please play along? And we will magically light the fifth candle. And then from the fifth candle, the Christ candle, we will light the first candle of the season. And then it will pass through as we celebrate and sing together silent night. And then we'll do a benediction and we'll really close out and welcome in Christmas with singing joy to the world. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to these powerful words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, she, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company, the heavenly hosts, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks. Thanks for the story Thank you for the truth of it and the power of it. We give you thanks for what it represents. God with us, reaching down into our space, our lives, our stories, finding a way into the intimate and intricate places where we live and breathe and feel and think so that your word says... We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, but one who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin. Let us then come boldly before the throne of grace that we might receive mercy in our time of need. I pray that your mercy would be manifest over every life, every mind and the thoughts that are being practiced trafficked in every heart and the emotions every set of circumstances that attempt to make us play things I, I pray that you would allow the folks who have gathered here in this place at least for the next few hours and maybe right into the new year and going forward to face the light it's so easy to face another direction and that you would encourage and equip and give them the strength to walk towards the light to walk away from darkness, to walk away from doubt, to walk away from cynicism, to walk away from fear, to walk away from distrust, anxiety, depression, sadness. None of us can do it on our own. We need your help. And so in these moments, as we close this service, we are waiting for that light to shine in our darkness around this room whatever that darkness might represent and we'll light the fifth candle of the advent wreath and we'll celebrate the coming of the Christ child the light of the world and then one by one we'll share that light with one another we'll celebrate the fact that when we share the light all of us doing our part can make a huge impact on the darkness. But even more than that,
the light is coming to each of us. It's making its way step by step so that those of us living in darkness will see a great light. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. I pray the blessing of your light and your warmth over every home and family in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made and in Him was life. And that life was the light of all humans. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.